Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. This is my weekly period where I can spend an hour turning your ear, giving you my views, ranting about current issues, and talking to interesting people. What a crazy week we got going on this week. So many news stories. It, you know, sometimes you got to sit down in the morning and try and think of what I'm going to write about or, or talk about. Uh, today, it was just a matter of trying to figure out which ones to prioritize. There's stuff going on all over the place. I guess after a summer, you know, of uh, people worrying about vacations and uh, taking a break and things like that, everything built up. And once the fall hit, the, the political world went bananas. And, and it certainly is. I got a, a good show coming up today. I like to think they're all good. Uh, be sure to use those uh, comments, by the way. I like that. I, you know, let's get that interactivity going in there, guys. Send questions my way, comments my way. I do see them all. I don't necessarily read them all out. But uh, again, discuss things with each other. Just keep it civil. That's all for guests today. I've been looking forward to this. I've got uh, Sam Cooper coming on. He's an investigative journalist. He's really been leading the file for pretty much a year on, on the Chinese interference issue going on in elections and with government and in general. And uh, he's got his uh, news outlet, the Bureau. And it seems uh, as well now we're talking about Indian interference. Well, the, the Trudeau government was warned about that as well, yet they chose not to do anything about it. I, I wanted to talk to Mr. Cooper mostly about, you know, the inquiry that's finally going to get going, and we'll cover a little bit of that. But now with this uh, Indian debacle opening up, we've got even more to expand into. It, it just goes and goes and goes. So getting me warmed up and thinking about it and starting on Justin Trudeau, one of my favorite people to talk about on this show. I can't wait till I speak about him in the past tense, but for now, he's still our Prime Minister. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he desperately wanted an investigation he initiated by the Competition Bureau to find evidence of price gouging by retail grocers. So he must have been terribly disappointed when the report found that not only were grocers not gouging citizens on food prices, but their profits were also modest in the words of the authors. That's it. Modest is what they called them. Net profit margins for major grocery retail retailers sits around 3.6%. That's pretty thin. Now, the Liberal government's been collapsing in the polls, and Trudeau is desperate. He ignored the results of his own study and jumped out there, and he's taking to trying to blame the grocers yet again for the food price increases. Now, he's taking a threatening tone with them. He said he'll impose taxes on grocers if they can't tell them how they will lower grocery prices by Thanksgiving, which is just a few weeks away. Now, even if those grocers decided to be completely altruistic and become non-profit organizations, the price drops on food would be negligible at best. Again, they only got 3.6% to work with. Shareholders, of course, would say to heck with that. Then they're barely making anything anyways. They'd flee. And stores would start closing. We wouldn't see new ones constructed, and we would actually see food shortages. Not only is Trudeau ignoring the results of his own data, but he's also playing loose with his language in an effort to villainize Canadian businesses. He angrily, angrily spits out the words record profits, as if profits are an evil thing. Those record profits are due to a declining dollar and a growing volume of sales. They're not taking any more as far as profit margins go. As long as their margins remain in the realm of 3.6%, nobody's getting a windfall here. What will Trudeau's taxes look like when these grocers fail in finding savings where they don't exist? I mean, how on earth would laying a tax upon grocers reduce prices for anybody? I mean, we got liberal simpletons and they've been flooding social media and cheering Trudeau's war with the grocers. They want easy solutions to complex problems, but it just never works that way. The numbers look big because 
There's only five major grocery chains in Canada. They have to operate in high volumes in order to keep the prices down. Logistics, buying power, training efficiency, and management systems, they're all superior with large businesses. That's why products usually cost more at farmer's markets, for example, where you're buying direct from a producer than they do at the big box store. If we did do something as ridiculous as forcing big box stores to, to break up you know, in some sort of antitrust legislation, grocery prices would go through the roof and selection would go into the toilet. Nobody suggested that yet. But if Trudeau thinks he can somehow make food prices get lower through adding taxes to them, I won't put anything beyond them. He's the man who said budgets balance themselves. Now, the heads of Canada's largest grocery chains, they dutifully attended a meeting with Finance Minister Christian Freeland and Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry Francois-Philippe Champagne this week. They came from the meeting and said, well, they'll see if they can find ways to stabilize food prices. They took part in Trudeau's theater, made their statements, but nothing's going to change. The grocers know that. Economists know that. Anybody with even the tiniest understanding of basic economics knows that. The thing that's questionable is whether or not Trudeau knows that. If the Prime Minister imposes taxes on an industry claiming that a 3.6% profit margin is a windfall, he's going to send shockwaves to the Canadian economy. What businesses are going to be next? Most industries have higher margins than that. Dairy farmers, for example, they have profit margins around 20%. Supply management systems are serving them well. Canada's inflationary situation is due to several factors. Uh, we've got high new taxes, such as the carbon tax. We've got massive immigration numbers adding to demand as they need housing and food like everybody else. We've got ongoing supply chain issues going on and lingering still from the pandemic lockdowns. And of course, we've got the massive debt the government's taken on. Until all those issues are somehow addressed, Canada's going to see continued inflation. Going after grocery retailers, it won't do a damn thing. Trudeau's desperately seeking distractions from his own dismal record as his public support evaporates. Just like his bombshell about India allegedly assassinating a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil. Why did Trudeau wait until the day Parliament opened before making those allegations? And why hasn't Trudeau expanded upon or provided some evidence then of such a serious charge? Let's pray this isn't a stunt on the part of Trudeau. It's terrifying to think that a governing party is diplomatically and economically as inept as the Trudeau Liberals might still have two more years of power ahead of it. So guys, yeah, the food crisis, it's just warming up, guys. It's, it's going to get worse, I'm afraid. And that's what's got me wound up today. And, uh, you know, lots to keep me going on that one. It, the amount of, of uh, economic literacy I've seen on social media between others and, and, and so on on this issue has is, is just been astounding. So, I mean, you know, people, you got to wake up. I, I know you don't like seeing those higher prices. You see them at the counter. That's the reason it gets targeted at the grocer's levels, because that's where you see the high cost. But it doesn't mean necessarily that that's where they're coming from. It's a little more complicated than that. All right, let's check in and see all that other stuff that's going on with our news editor, Dave Naylor. So, hey there, Dave. How's it going in there today? Uh, pretty good, Corey. There was a definite chill in the air this morning, though, wasn't there? Winter's on its way. Oh, it is. <laughs> I'm not and, uh, you know, the good thing about uh, autumn and the fall is uh, NFL football. And I know you're a big fan, Corey. Uh, so you must have watched uh, the mighty Seahawks victory uh, last Sunday against Detroit. What a game. What a squad. <laughs> I did. It was actually a pretty close one there against uh, what used to be the hapless Detroit, actually. Yeah, they're pretty good, though. And I'm sorry, who's your team? I forget. Hey, the Steelers are one and one now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Nobody but, uh, cares about the Steelers. Uh, ah, their offense stinks. But, hey, look at Watt's going to kill them for them. There you go. So, yeah, you hit it on the head. Holy cow, what a news week, eh? Uh, 
uh, no rest for the wicked for us this week. Uh, today we're focused on the One Million March for Children uh, that's happening uh, across Canada as we speak, Corey. And holy cow, these people are turning out uh, by the tens of thousands. Uh, streets of Ottawa around uh, Parliament Hill are just packed. It's uh, certainly the biggest demonstration they've seen there since the Truckers' Freedom Convoy. Uh, Toronto has a huge turnout. Uh, in Calgary right now, there's about a thousand people in front of the federal Harry Hayes building, and they're uh, they're marching to City Hall, where they'll be met by uh, uh, no doubt other people. Uh, so yeah, that's it's a big story across Canada today, and uh, uh, we've got reporters all over the place uh, that'll be filing stories on that. Uh, other stories you can click on this morning is our energy expert Sean Polzer has uh, spent the week down at the World Petroleum Congress. Uh, down up the Roundup Center in Calgary. And uh, he says it's been a story of mixed opportunities and mixed messages as uh, the feds say one thing and Alberta Alberta says another. So it's a really good uh, column from uh, Sean there. Speaking of columns, uh, our opinion editor, Nigel Hannaford, uh, he's got a really good one on uh, the Trudeau announcement on the, uh, the Indian government assassination of a Canadian citizen. And he's got four points about it that uh, really don't make any sense. And uh, uh, you're certainly right. There is more to uh, this story to come. And uh, British Prime Minister Sunak announced today that uh, uh, Great Britain will be rolling back their targets uh, for energy car or for not energy cars, for electric vehicles. Uh, they say it's just too costly right now. And uh, they're rolling it back for, for several years. And uh, speaking of Trudeau, he's at the UN today and he's uh, he's going the other way. As we know, Corey, uh, he's Mr. Climate and uh, He's telling the world how great uh, Canada is and uh, all we're doing. He is, even though you know, he's making life unaffordable for the rest of us at the moment. Yeah, he's uh, certainly going to some great pains to save us all from ourselves, isn't he? That's it. Uh, so, yeah, keep uh, keep coming back to the website this afternoon. We'll have uh, continuing coverage of the, uh, uh, the big marches across Canada today. Right on. Thanks, Dave. I'll let you get back to it. I know you got a mountain to manage today there. Certainly do. Thanks, Corey. All right, thanks. So that was our news editor, Dave Naylor. And yeah, we just, like I said, this week has just been uh, kicking off with a, a mountain of stories going on. We've got reporters all over covering things, writing on it as much as they can and getting it out to you guys. So this is where I nag you and remind you, though, the reason we can stay as independent media is from your subscriptions. And we really appreciate it. People have been coming through. That's why we're doing great. That's why we're expanding. But we still need more. We don't take any government funding. We never will. $9.99 a month, guys, uh, $100 a year, and that is how we can stay independent and uh, keep these things going. Share the links out there. Independent media is the future, guys. It's, it's the only way we can go. It's the way we can cover these stories without interference and uh, keep that local coverage going. You know, we've got people on the ground. There aren't too many outlets that can afford to do that anymore. Again, I, I thank you guys who have kept us going so far. And uh, again, encourage you to just uh, keep it coming, guys. It's just like an old newspaper subscription used to be. It's just now we spread it around a little more. And yeah, I'm going to talk a little more about that. It's something I'm going to write on later. Another uh, interesting thing I saw, you know, breaking last night, kind of. It was an announcement of a $3 billion loan that's going to finance nuclear reactors in Romania. Now, so here we are, uh, we, we've got the Alberta government that's being told, hey, you guys have somehow got to come down to net zero by 2035 for your electrical generation, or we're going to put emission caps on your prime industries and punish you. But meanwhile, we're going to give $3 billion, or at least in loan guarantees to Romania, 
to build reactors. Now, I, I know it's going a little farther back, but if you look at the history of, of Kandu reactors in Romania, Canada actually supplied them or tried to supply them with five back at the late 80s, and it turned into a complete debacle. Uh, it, it was a mess. Only two of them got completed, and they are running right now. Three of them are sitting to this day half completed, and now we're going to guarantee loans for, for uh, a bunch more reactors for Romania. Nothing against the Romanians. They're trying to climb up from an old communist economy. I understand that. But we have some economic challenges ourselves. And I tell you what, Romania is not a good credit risk. It's one of the most corrupt countries in Eastern Europe. They got some fantastic people, but they've got some challenges. And putting billions into yet another reactor debacle with them is really asking for a lot of trouble, guys. Uh, so why? Why are they so fixated on it? You know, I'm writing a column on this and I've been looking into it, learning more as I go. I didn't realize. But yeah, the whole can-do energy company actually was bought by, lo and behold, SNC-Lavalin. Well, great. There's a company known for its uh, above-the-board overseas dealings, isn't it? I can see why they could get along with uh, the players in Romania in having government-funded things like reactors built over there. Guys, we got some, some big issues going on in this country, and this one just floored me. Again, I, I, I want to see Romania uh, prosper and doing as well as they can, becoming more energy independent. But again, if we're going to electrify Canada, we got to start spending those dollars here. Where, where's, where's the Western Canadian reactors? Where's the talk about that? Not hearing about it. All we're hearing out here is more of the punitive side of things as to why Again, the Western Canadian energy industry, of course, are the, the bad guys who have been polluting Canada's environment and the world, you know, and the rest. So, uh, yeah, lots going. But, okay, staying on the foreign file, as I said earlier, I've been looking forward to, to speaking to him. I've got, uh, he's in the lobby there, investigative journalist Sam Cooper of the Bureau, and he started that up. And he's just been on top of the foreign interference file all year long on, on the Chinese foreign interference. And now the Indian uh, issue has broken amidst it to just to take a, a an already crazy issue and make it even more so and more complicated and and i'd say more tenuous at this point considering the the announcements from uh, justin trudeau this week so uh, as well the the bureau came out with a story right afterwards talking about though uh, this indian interference issue wasn't all that new uh, the, the trudeau government was aware of it and like others they chose not to act so we'll get uh, sam to expand on that so thank you very much for joining us today sam Thanks for having me, Corey. So I, I uh, as I was saying in the lead in, uh, you know, we've got so much going on. It, it's hard to see how much to cover. But I mean, it was quite a bombshell. I mean, to hear uh, the leader of a nation say in Parliament that another nation has had agents assassinate somebody on our soil. I mean, that, that's pretty, that's as serious as it gets. Uh, but I mean, it, it kind of, I, I guess, overshadows the fact that it, w whether or not that's, uh, you know, the, the accuracy or, or proof going on with that, that uh, this could be a consequence of them ignoring warnings from the security agencies again uh, years ago. Yeah, that's right. What my exclusive report for the Bureau revealed was that uh, I've been tracking, as you know, uh, sensitive internal confidential Canadian records for a while now. These are what led to the bombshells about China's election interference but I learned from my documents and sources that the concerns of CSIS are, of course, China is the number one threat. Russia, of course, is in that interference mix deeply and has been always, but India as well. Uh, a democracy, a huge economy, but CSIS is concerned deeply involved in both our electoral politics, our institutions, 
and perhaps more importantly, like China, they are using and targeting their large diaspora in Canada to interfere. And so that uh, when I knew that uh, I had a lot of information on CSIS's blocked efforts to roll up and intervene against these Indian intelligence networks being run out of consulates in Canada. And so when Mr. Trudeau dropped his bombshell seemingly out of nowhere in Parliament, I knew it was time to bring out my evidence from documents that said, indeed, CSIS wanted to move forward with the threat reduction powers, as you recall, given to them by the Harper government, really to target and uh, roll back terrorist networks. In this case, CSIS was so concerned that Indian intelligence was so deep into communities uh, in Vancouver that they wanted to intervene, target a diplomat there, and uh, it's a long story that I'll make short because I've repeated it over and over again. Trudeau's <laughs> government blocked this intervention because Global Affairs Canada values trade uh, deals, diplomacy, political wins with other governments, in this case, India. Uh, other agencies, other departments in Ottawa were worried that this was too politically sensitive for CSIS to dive into Vancouver. And also, as you recall, Prime Minister Trudeau's big trip to India was planned for 2018. So in a nutshell, CSIS's plan to intervene was blocked in Ottawa and they did nothing in Vancouver. So when I heard that now Mr. Trudeau is uh, alleging India has ties to this assassination of a Sikh separatist leader in Vancouver, this was the Sikh community was the one targeted and infiltrated, according to CSIS. They wanted to intervene. They couldn't. And so we can ask the fair question. Do hostile state activities such as not only spying on Canadians, but in this case, allegedly being close to or involved in an assassination, can these activities build up because Justin Trudeau's government hasn't intervened against India and more importantly, China? So as you say, there's so much politics involved here. But again, I want to stress, this is a story I've now reported at the Bureau after only a few months in operation again and again. It refers to the Chinese so-called police stations in Canada. Again, Trudeau's government, warned since 2015, literally took no action until my stories brought really a lot of this activity to light. At least now we're having a debate about it. Uh, your stories have been driving this, this whole issue, and it, and it really is appreciated. I mean, when we talk about we, we pride ourselves as being a safe haven, uh, you know, for populations to come from other nations if they've been oppressed or they're in danger. And when we're seeing so much evidence that they're still being intimidated here, whether it's Chinese uh, immigrants to Canada, and now, of course, the, potentially the worst possible outcome with, with a, a Sikh uh, person on our soil, I, I mean, it's just uh, unbelievable that it's led to this. That's right. I talked to a, a former BC a federal conservative politician who lost in the 2021 election. But the point she made that is that she and her family came from Korea to live a better life, to run away from those geopolitical concerns facing off North Korea where they were living. And uh, as an MP, she found that similarly, immigrant communities were coming to her and saying, we're being chased surveilled, targeted by hostile foreign regimes on Canadian soil, and uh, CSIS and the RCMP know about it, but aren't equipped to protect us in this democracy that we came to. So uh, she argued that, of course, we need a deep inquiry to look into these issues, 
but she's uh, she would be uh, aligned with many people that have said, as the evidence has showed, as I've reported, above all, the Trudeau government has uh, really uh, let down the very multiculturalism that this uh, country is supposed to support. Canada clearly needs uh, laws such as a foreign agent registry that the United States has and has used, by the way, to crack down on Chinese transnational repression. And yet uh, in Ottawa, we've learned this week that nowhere on the Trudeau government agenda is tabling foreign agent registry yet. No, and, and I mean, it, it is diplomatically sensitive. I mean, we have huge trade ties with China. Every developed nation does now. Uh, it could potentially be a growing relationship with India, I guess. You, you don't want to uh, constantly be battling with them, but at the same time, you can't be a pushover. I mean, if the registry didn't uh, seriously hinder trade between the United States and China, there's no reason to believe such a registry, if done correctly, would uh, cause too much uh, diplomatic damage within Canada. Oh, it has to be done correctly. Uh, and there are examples out there for Canada to lean on. Of course, Australia facing the very same deep interference and attacks on their democracy from China acted years ago, as uh, the documents I've reported on have said. Prime Minister Trudeau was directly led to the example of Australia and now other countries. And so, look, the model is out there. And uh, as pretty much any reasonable Canadian expert I'm aware of says, look, this is a, now a tool of modern democracies. Uh, the world is getting tougher out there. If you don't have, you know, a fair law such as this in place, you're leaving your populations wide open to, uh, let's just come out and say it, essentially secret police activity on Canadian soil. And one thing I'd like to add, Corey, uh, I, you know, among any other reporters that are chasing down this story, again and again, my reports have uh, pointed to the use by these hostile foreign nations. Uh, I won't name them all here, but uh, China and Russia would be at the top of the list. The direct use of organized crime elements in diaspora communities, which is completely unacceptable and uh, is something that the United States is cracking down on for sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, you know, this is just, I guess, the we're seeing the results of what's a huge and, and, and boiling issue that's been going for quite some time. It took a lot of pressure, a lot of arm twisting, a lot of foot dragging, but it sounds like we might finally have a, a public inquiry getting rolling. Uh, they broadened the terms of it to go beyond China and into others. At first, I thought maybe this was a way to dilute it, but it sounds to me that uh, if you're going to do the inquiry, actually, uh, we should be looking at every nation. I, I, I guess it's probably a good thing. Yeah, you know, I've, I've, I have complex thoughts on this. I have uh, been open to the thinking that there's definitely some people that would like to make this an inquiry about, uh, you know, chasing rabbit holes about who was behind the convoy, looking at Russia, looking at United States politicians, which would be a mistake. But what is not a mistake, I believe, would be to focus 90% more on China because all the experts, former CSIS officers say by far China is the most deeply involved threat in Canada. But yes, Russia and India are also, you know, as my reports have shown, documented to be big threats that use many of the same tactics. And now uh, I suppose Prime Minister Trudeau has come out and without revealing too many details, at least alleged that he too believes India is involved in deep operations in Canada. So I would say to sum up, let's focus on China, but let's also understand, as I say, that China uses proxies, it targets the diaspora, it uses 
any element, including front and center organized crime actors. And the concerns are that Russia and potentially India are using those same methods. So of course we should look at whether they are. And uh, I've said to others, Corey, we don't just need a foreign agent registry. If we're dealing with criminal proxies, we need stronger laws against transnational crime as well. Well, yeah, we, we have to keep all of our Canadians safe, particularly our newer ones that we've brought in and, and uh, they're getting, you know, people from Taiwan, people from China dealing with that. that. And, and now, as we, you said, you know, when I don't know if Ukrainian citizens may be getting pressure from Russian uh, sources, like we're supposed to be the, the safe haven. Uh, it won't necessarily uh, be easy, but we got to get started on this. But again, I mean, our relations with India now have certainly been as chilly as we've ever seen them. CSIS uh, must have provided the prime minister with some information at least pointing towards that. But is there more that could be released then to, to clarify on what's going on? Because it, it really just seems to have made a, a mess. Well, I, I would agree with that. And I think a lot of people are scratching their heads about the way this information was disclosed. Look, there were already enough indications that uh, RCMP national security and I believe organized crime units probably were looking at this uh, targeted shooting outside a temple in Vancouver this summer. And it, that's not a surprise to me, because if you remember, the Air India uh, mastermind was also uh, executed in recent years, and police were not shy in saying it could be anything from organized crime, state-sponsored crime, uh, potentially another state. Uh, you take your pick. And let's not forget, uh, my reports have already shown that uh, CSIS believes not only are they worried about India being active in Canada, but they're worried about Pakistan being similarly active in Canada to counter India. So when I boil all this down, uh, will Prime Minister Trudeau be able to produce more evidence? You would think he has some sort of document, but does he want to produce more evidence? And could this just, uh, I'm not, and others aren't convinced, you know, how clear could the line to India be, or could it just be going into a rat's nest of uh, networks that in could include uh, intelligence agencies, uh, internecine rivalries at this temple, organized crime, it could be anything. And uh, you're right when you say, uh, I think Canadians need more because there's now an international diplomatic crisis uh, underway. Well, and we have large Indian uh, communities in Canada, in Calgary, in Vancouver, everywhere. Uh, you know, they're fantastic Canadians. They're a complicated society. They, you have their Sikh populations, the Hindu populations. I, I can't imagine this has aided with uh, feelings in the, within the community of, of new Canadians. It had nothing to do with all of this mess, but they, they start turning the side eye at your neighbors sometimes. I believe that's right. And we've seen it already, uh, you know, in our wonderful Chinese, Canadian, Taiwanese, Hong Kong, Canadian communities. Look, uh, politicians like former conservative Kenny Chu out in Richmond, B.C. came out and told me in my book, Willful Blindness, we're seeing tooth and nail diaspora battles in the Asian Canadian community between essentially what we can call, you know, pro-democracy forces and uh, what would be, uh, you know, the, the communities that side more with Beijing's hardliners. And it, why is it happening? Essentially, it's because Canada doesn't have the right laws in place to support democracy and to make sure that uh, uh, when we're in Canada, you know, you're going to, of course, you can uh, express your views, 
but that doesn't enable you, whatever regime you may be friendly to another country, to spy on your neighbor. And you're right. Now that, uh, you know, what we see happening, the allegations in Parliament Hill this week, it can only lead to more, uh, you know, more distrust within diaspora communities in Canada. So CSIS, I mean, you, you can sense the frustration coming from some people within it. They know their mandate. They've worked hard. They're trying to uh, bring, make the government aware and, and prevent these things, but they get ignored. And, and, and that's, I'm imagining why some of these documents end up getting leaked out and, and uh, you know, further you put it forth. That's not, I guess, the ideal way for security documents to come out. But if, if there's no other option, if the government's stonewalling them, uh, you, you can see these leaks continuing. I can uh, confirm exactly what you say. Of course, speaking very carefully, there are legal actions underway. Uh, I need to be careful to protect my sources, to protect myself indeed. But I can confirm that it's gone beyond frustration. Uh, it, it, it's fair to say that people in Canadian institutions for years have been approaching me because they believe one, uh, first of all, for decades, most specifically with China, Canadian governments, that is successive prime ministers have been targeted. Some governments have responded better than others, but the situation since 2015, coincidentally to Xi Jinping rolling out more forcefully what we call his United Front Interference Networks and the Trudeau government not responding to this threat, the situation has become so dire in Canada that indeed uh, people that walk around with badges to protect Canada came to me and said they don't see any other path but for uh, an established journalist on this file to tell Canadians what's really going on. And by the way, they say that Canadians still don't know the half. There's sensitive information I have I can't report. There's information too sensitive for people to even share with me. So I do believe uh, there's many people in Canada's government that, uh, that I won't mince words here. When they say words like elite capture or in other countries, state capture, look, that is what China is trying to do in Canada. And so there are people on the inside that are concerned that uh, not only are politicians captured, but you know whole segments of institutions may be under the sway of foreign states, which is unacceptable. And yet, we still don't have the reasonable laws that our allies have to counter uh, these attacks on our democracy. As it's such a shame. I, I know you're not going to let up on this issue. Uh, you're, you're very persistent and you've been doing a fantastic job. Before I let you go, you, you've got your, your book on this and uh, the, the Bureau. Of, where, where can we point our viewers to, to find out more in detail on what you've been doing, Sam? Sure, you can go to uh, thebureau.news. The uh, for now, I'm on Substack. I'm building up a strong list of subscribers. We've got a great community there. And as I say, pushing out these international breaking stories takes a lot of time. It takes legal support. So I really appreciate you know everyone that can come to the page, read the stories and support. You can find me on Twitter at Scooper Cooper, which will lead to uh, my page and my book. And I hope there's a lot of international reporting and breaking news in the future. And I'm working towards that. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us today and for the work you've been doing, Sam. And uh, I hope we get to talk again soon. My pleasure, Corey. All right. Thank you. So as you heard, that was Sam Cooper. And yes, he's just been all over this. I, if it weren't for him, I don't think this issue would be where it is. I, I think most people can agree on that. And that reminder at the end, when we were talking about independent media, talking about uh, how to keep up on these things, get on there, 
go to the bureau.news. He's working as an independent uh, investigative journalist now. He needs support to do that. When, when I booked him, when I was trying to get him a while ago, actually, he was over in Taiwan. Like, he's on the ground uh, getting the information directly, working on these things. And uh, it, it costs money. It takes resources. So, you know, keep supporting these journalists. Because we're seeing, you know, this isn't coming up from legacy media anymore it's coming up through other sources they're afraid to shake the boat they don't want to scare their their liberal masters and and guys like sam have been uh, holding their feet to the fire and it's so important i mean this is huge it's huge I, whatever happened with that that shooting in vancouver if indeed i i mean i, I don't know but if we've had a foreign government you know assassinating somebody on our soil. I know some people have been uh, bringing up the history of the guy who, who was, who was shot and talking about how he, and it sounds like he was a pretty bad actor in, in a number of fronts. Yes, that's true. But the, our ground is not the place though to come over and do that. It's not acceptable. But again, for Trudeau to come out and point to India and say the government was behind it and then not follow up with more uh, evidence on it. He's just made tensions worse. He's made things worse. And as we've seen, as we just heard from Sam there, uh, they knew. They knew that this was an issue. They knew there were potential solutions. There were things that we could do, a registry, other stuff like that. And the Trudeau government has just kept putting it off and pushing it away and putting it off. But I mean, that's kind of a hallmark of the Trudeau government, though, isn't it? He doesn't like taking the tough road on things. Diplomacy is tough. It is. It's, it's like I was talking about before. Everybody says, you know, often, not, not everybody, a lot of people say, you know, with China and, and as bad an actor as they've been, we should just tell them to get stuffed and no longer buy any Chinese products. Well, <laughs> uh, you don't understand, I think, if you're going to say that, how much we are dependent on those products to keep life affordable right now, uh, wh whether we like it or not. Loads, whether from your clothing to your electronics to virtually everything these days, it, it, so many paths go through China. We might want to reduce our dependence on it. Absolutely, I can understand that. But when we have a cost of living crisis going on at the same time, uh, we, we, we don't all, you know, necessarily want to uh, shut out China as well. So it's a, a relationship between countries that can be tense. You, you've got to be able to call them out. You can't let them walk all over you just because they are a strong supplier of a lot of your consumer goods. But at the same time, you know, you, you can't put up with things. And things like with India, I mean, it's a huge developing market. We've got a fantastic large Indian community in Canada. And... Uh, to see it getting messed up with something like this. I mean, uh, we, we got so many opportunities for, for broadened trade with India, but if, if, and that's that big thing that, that Trudeau left that bloody question mark there, if they, the government was actually behind that assassination, then we've really got to reevaluate a lot of things with the Indian government and our relationship with them because it's just not tolerable. And I know people have pointed out that foreign agents have pulled that sort of crap for a long time. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, you know what? It was the assassination of Ferdinand uh, that started World War One. This has been going a long time. You know, Israel has gone around the world and uh, took out a, a number of nasty uh, uh, terrorists all over the place as well. And uh, But I mean, again, you know, that's just crossing a lot of lines when you're crossing borders and pulling those stunts. It doesn't matter whether the people being assassinated are good or bad. It's whether the, the sovereignty of the nation where it's happening is being respected. And if that happened in Canada, it was certainly disrespected in the worst possible way. We were supposed to have other ways to deal with this. So this story is really just getting started. It really is. Trudeau, uh, you know, it's funny. The response from the United States and Australia uh, was kind of lukewarm on Trudeau's revelation. Like there's a, yeah, this is a problem, but we're not getting on the the, the soapbox here and starting to show quite yet. And uh, 
you know, for good reason. Like, it seems pretty reckless. But again, as I was talking about earlier, with Trudeau is desperate. He's trying to sidetrack and distract and create issues. This is a, the, the marks of a man who really doesn't care about the, the well-being of the nation, only his political fortunes, which are currently in the toilet. So, uh, I, again, with, with Trudeau recently, with this, this revelation about uh, India, was it a distraction, though? Like, was that the reason you did it right on the first day of Parliament? Because they knew about this earlier, probably, surely. But you, you wanted something this important to have as much political impact for your own benefit as possible? That's not responsible leadership. Uh, but... Uh, uh, what's uh, you know somebody else saying no extra judicial killings? It's not okay for them. It's not okay for no. That's right. We just we just, we're in a we're a civilized democratic modern country. We got a lot of challenges and a lot of threats to our democracy. But that's not where we go. Uh, somebody I saw a comment earlier asking about uh, the 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 march and the protest for the the children and that going on. Uh, well, we are covering it, and Dave mentioned that at the start when he was talking about the stories happening. I mean, right now, that the, all those marches are currently happening right now. We've got reporters out there on the ground, and uh, we, we will be reporting on things at the westernstandard.news uh, as they come in. So uh, you can go there and, and see the updates. I'm not speaking to it right now because, I, I mean, I, I know as much as you guys about it, you know, in the, the preparation and the stuff leading up to it and the counter-protests leading up to it. And uh, I got a feeling there's going to be a lot of... Uh, uh, pretty heated exchanges, to say the very least, going on between protest groups. I, I drove downtown to Calgary today, and, and there were set up already a couple hours ago uh, a bunch of people on one side of the street and a bunch of people on the other all screaming uh, across the street at each other. And that was hours before the official start time. So I imagine it hasn't gotten any better since, but we'll, we'll see what happens with it. we got a lot of frustration going on out there. And uh, I said before, I'm mixed on it. I, I mean, I've never made a secret of that. I'm pretty socially liberal, guys. I'm not a social conservative. Uh, but at the same time, I, I also see the right to the parents to be sacrosanct. This is where the line keeps getting crossed by the activists. They keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I understand there are some intolerant parents who... Uh, Children, uh, you know, are, are hitting into their teens and realizing that they're they're not straight. They'd be afraid to say so in their household and things such as that. Fine, you know, it's we're we're get, growing as a society. We're getting better. We're getting more accepting of all of those things. But it's not the role of the school system and the unions. Remember, it keeps coming to the unions to bypass the parents, though, and get in the middle of that. That's not their role. It's not their role at all. And they keep crossing it. And that's what this battle is right now. I mean, we saw the Toronto Star earlier basically saying parents don't have the rights to know what their kids are doing. BS they don't. They're the parents. The parents may not always be right. But it's not the role of the state to get in the middle unless we're talking about true, serious, uh, physical or mental abuse. And I know they're broadening the de definition of mental abuse and calling it serious. If some kid walks up to the parents and say, hey, I'm a girl today, and you say, no, you aren't, that could be considered serious mental abuse. Come on, guys, you've moved that goal line way too far beyond the reasonable. Leave the kids alone. That's the thing with the activists. Why? Are they always focused on going after the kids? Leave them the hell alone. When they get 16 and into 18 years old, they'll have a much better idea of where they're going, what their identity is. Some families will be better at dealing with their children than others. But it's not the state's role. 
And uh, that's where, that's why people are on the streets today. You know, there are some people out there, and that's how it's being phrased by the legacy media, of course. They're saying it's all anti-LGBTQ demonstrators. Well, no, not necessarily. They're pro-parent demonstrators, pro-parental rights. And not all of them. There are some amongst them. Oh, there's certainly some hateful people in there. And some people who think that uh, homosexuality should be illegalized again or that, uh, you know, same-sex marriage rights should be reversed and garbage like that. They're out there. They have the right to have that view. It's a dwindling view and it's a wrong view in my view. But most of them are just concerned parents and is being framed the wrong way, but they're pushing it too far. They've pushed the parents too far. Uh, you know, uh, Commander Singh in Lethbridge, a leader of Antifa, known as a Marxist, is a junior high school teacher. Yeah, you know, like the, the ridiculousness going on in our schools and the acceptance of when it goes too far. That nutcase who was out there with his great big fake giant boobs, uh, you know, is a shop teacher. And the, the school board couldn't find the courage to just get up and say, this guy's screwed in the head. He's dressed inappropriately. This is not right for the students. This is not a good example. And we're going to impose a dress code to remove this person from their job. They wouldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They were too scared. The well-being of the students fell beyond what his paradoxy is saying. Uh, he trolled everyone. Yeah, I don't know if he was trolling or nuts or whatever it was. I don't care. The bottom line is what he did expose, whether intentionally or unintentionally, was that the schools and the school boards won't stand up for the rights of children when somebody has crossed the line dramatically in front of them like that. And parents have had enough. They're getting concerned. And that's what a whole lot of them out there demonstrating today are. I put a post uh, up on Twitter recently, uh, you know, showing a picture from one of the Edmonton protests, and it had a, a, a setup. They actually got a, a booth set up with a picture of Karl Marx and saying, it's the Communist Party. Join us here. You know what? I'm going to say this outright because we don't say it enough. Communists are as bad as scumbags as Nazis. They are. Communists killed hundreds of millions of people. They're murderous thugs. They're disgusting. And the, the hammer and sickle should be spit on as quickly as a swastika when you see it surfacing again. They should have the right to put their stupid table out there. But call these people out. Because there's no room to have people embracing that sick ideology. When they sit there and stand on a high horse and saying that uh, people are embracing a sick ideology by protesting in parents' rights, yet you'll happily sit there manning a table, a communist table, communists, the ones who starved millions of Ukrainians to death, millions of Chinese that oppressed people for decades and decades. No, no, I, I'll call you scumbags out when you push that crap. Just as I'll call some scumbag out who pushes a, a swastika. It's disgusting too. Well, you know, there's a double standard when it comes to it. If, if, if some idiot was sitting there with a table with a couple of swastikas saying, let's you know, bring about a new Nazi party in Canada, I think people would rip that table down and, and, and you know, give those guys a few swift kicks in the butt and move them along, as they should. But communists, oh, well, that's not so bad. Yes, it is so bad. There are two sides of the same coin. There are authoritarian extremists who don't care about the population and who will murder citizens for the sake of their ideology. So... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a sick, sick uh, ideology. So speaking of crime, I'm just going to hit a couple of things as we kind of wrap things up, a few news stories. Uh, crime costs Canadians more than $43 billion a year. You know, turn the page a little. Because we've got a, uh, a weak, weak justice system, if you want to call it that. 
And this is where people talk about it's too expensive to keep incarcerating. It's too expensive to get more police. It's too expensive. Uh, BS. You know, when we're cost $43 billion a year because the crime's committed, unchecked crime, I'm sorry, you know, and that, that, that's totals expenses from uh, police overtime, lost wages from victims, funeral expenses, trauma. $43 billion a year. Uh, yeah, I, I think we've got some money that we could crack down on and uh, make more effective crime policy. But again, wh wh where is it coming from? Well, let, let's have a look here. There was an inflation summit. This is a neat story that's come up. I think, did Dave mention that or not? Uh, cabinet had one of their retreats, Trudeau's cabinet. You know, so a couple of dozen people, a few dozen people got together out there for three days. And uh, let's see, what did they spend? $275,000 on an inflation summit. Yeah, three days in a Vancouver hotel, and they spent $275,000 to examine inflation. Can you imagine? Just sat there eating their caviar, drinking their Dom Perignon, and dwelling on, why are Canadians having higher prices for everything? They've got no clue, these elitist jerks. True Marie Antoinette sort of behavior. But what do you expect out of a trust fund baby prime minister like Justin Trudeau? His cabinet's reflecting him. They are tone deaf. They have no idea what common Canadians are actually suffering under their inflationary regime, their overspending regime, the regime that is stepping on the rights of Canadians every day. So for these scumbags, and I'll call them that, to sit there sipping on that, to have uh, you know, $275,000 to sit in a hotel for three days. Room charges were $130,000. Three days. The catering alone was $46,000. Again, it's just the cabinet. You know what? We've got a giant bunch of buildings and facilities on Parliament Hill where those guys can get together at a fraction of that cost. No, no. We want to travel on the dime of the taxpayers, sip those expensive foods, drink those, you know, <laughs> eat the good foods, sip the wine. It's sick. It's sick. This is a broken government. And... Uh, it's only going to get worse. This is what I'm worried about. This, this week is going bananas, like I was saying, from bombshells dropped in Ottawa with uh, the India thing, with going after the grocers, you name it, things like that. It's a desperate government. It's only going to get worse as they continue to drop in the polls. He's going to keep coming up with things to try and sidetrack us from it somehow. All right, to close things out with the dark comedy of interesting news that was released out of all this. Yeah, India has put out a warning to travelers <laughs> uh, saying, you know, Canada could be a dangerous place for Indians to travel to uh, because of politically condoned violence happening over here. Yeah, they, they, the shots get back and forth, get more and more absurd. Though, I mean, there are some very real dangers going on if we've got assassinations happening on our soil, though I don't think your, your typical Indian tourist has to worry about it over here. But that, that's the sort of games that are going to get going and they're going to get a heck of a lot worse as we go along, unfortunately. So uh, that covers it. Get on there, guys. Western Standard News. The news stories will keep coming up. There, there's going to be a whole lot breaking and a whole lot more we're writing on through uh, the course of this week. And uh, tune in for the pipeline that's going to be on a little later tonight, guys. And that's where we'll have our panel uh, breaking down a bunch more of these issues and uh, getting some more updates on things. So thank you very much for joining us today. And we will see you all again at this time next week. Here's what commodity prices are doing in Lethbridge today. Cash barley remains at 340, feed wheat is steady at 355, while October corn is unchanged at 350, and November December is trading at 318 per metric ton. In the milling wheat markets, December Minneapolis futures are higher, one and a quarter cents at 781 per bushel, with local hardware at spring bid for October movement at 955 per bushel. Looking at canola, November futures added $3.10 at 737.40 per ton, 
with delivered buys for October movement at 1672 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentil prices are higher a half a cent at 36.5 cents per pound, and yellow peas are lower 25 cents at 10.75 per bushel. In the cattle markets, October live cattle are up 75 cents at 186.43 per hundred weight. For more information on pricing or picked up options, give me a call at 403-394-1711. I'm Matt Buscom at Marketplace Commodities. Accurate, real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association, without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada. And more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. You become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny.